0: Hey everybody, and welcome to Breaking Biotech, the podcast where we get into all things biotechnology. My name is Matt, and thanks a lot for joining me. If you like what I'm doing, please like, subscribe, or leave a comment. And if you know anybody who's trying to get into the space, you know, link them to my channel if they want to uh, dip their toes into the biotechnology industry. So today I'm going to talk about uh, one sad thing, which was my incorrect call in ZoGenics. So I want to congratulate everybody who actually played it and went long and got uh, rewarded handsomely for it. Uh, I also want to talk about the latest FDA guidelines regarding gene therapy and talk a little bit how it relates to Spark and whether or not it's uh, it's going to have some implications. So uh, let's jump into it. All right, so I have the chart for zoogenics up, and today it closed at 61.35, reached a, a high of about 63. And uh, yeah, so I said in my last video that this news was priced in, and that it had a lot of downside potential, and that it was not worth playing. I was clearly uh, incorrect, and this is a, a good lesson for everybody, myself included. Um, I'm I'm disappointed that I didn't see the upside here, but uh, I gotta say, you know, you can never always be right on a call that you make. So. It's uh, it's important that if you don't feel like you have conviction in something that you just don't play it And that's that's what I did here. And I uh, in the last video, you know I went on this long spiel about how you can uh, try to anticipate events that are already priced in and uh, It looked like that to me here, and uh, I was incorrect and you know, there's rumors that are circulating that this uh, sets up the company for a good position for a buyout And uh, that could be the case and or it could just be that this market is is so large that between zogenics and gw pharmaceuticals is going to be a ton of money there to be made so either way it's uh it's great for for both companies Um, they're both going to be competing now for that market and uh, it's great for everybody who has dravet syndrome who now have options so just to go through uh, the data that they did announce today the I'll just go down. So they showed that. So I'll give some background. So they did. Zogenics did two trials. They did one trial uh, later last year that was patients who were not taking any other pharmaceutical uh, drugs to control their seizures. So then they split the patients into placebo and uh, ZX008, and they saw a significant decrease in the number of seizures by the drug. So what they wanted to do in study two was see whether or not patients that were taking uh, pharmaceutical drugs to treat their Dravet syndrome, who then also added ZX008, would also get that benefit. And what they saw was um, patients with uh, over 50% reduction in monthly convulsive seizures also saw a 50% decrease when they were taking ZX008 compared to placebo. So... This is uh, this is great data it's in line with what they saw in study one so there's definitely an additive effect of uh, zx001 as well as steiprotol stru- pentol and uh, yeah so this is uh, this is positive this is data that I think uh, most people were expecting but um, it uh, it led to a big big uh, increase in the stock so congratulations to everybody who who played it and uh, these guys are going to be filing for um, to to register the drug with the FDA at the end of the year, and uh, and both this company and GW Pharmaceuticals will be um will be going head to head. So, thought I'd bring that up. And uh, and yeah, so for people who are not um, completely convinced of your position, you know, you don't have to play everything. It's impossible for you to always get everything right. So, anything that you don't have, you know, pretty good conviction on, I would say just don't play it. There's always tons of opportunities out there, especially in the biotech space in this day and age. So there's no reason for you to play something that you don't feel very confident in. So with that, I also want to mention, or we're going to move on to the uh, the FDA guidelines. So I posted uh, or I retweeted the FDA um, tweet about the new guidelines that they had for some of the uh, different uh, diseases that were out there. So one of them was... The human gene therapy for hemophilia, and this, of course, is has a lot of implication for any of the companies that are in hemophilia. And I talked about a few of them last time. Um, I got some flag for not bringing up Biomarin at all, which you know, just uh, wasn't really on my radar. But they're also in the hemophilia space, and they're uh, they're an, an important player. But um, so some of the things that have that have caught mine and other people's eyes. The uh, the main thing in in this document that I've noticed is that there's a they want companies to um, be careful with the discrepancy that they see between two different analytic methods to measure um, the factor activity so there's these factor eight or factor nine activity assays and the based on which assay you use sometimes the the data that comes out can be a little different so the they want companies to settle that um, if they're going to focus on that for their endpoint. So the, the important thing that people have been looking at is, uh, is here. So for efficacy endpoints, people who are going, companies that are going through the traditional approval, they're using this, they want companies to use the annualized bleeding rate as the primary endpoint to demonstrate clinical benefit. And then they say for the accelerated approval, of which Spark has, has uh, like requested, I guess, Uh, They say that factor activity may be considered as a surrogate endpoint for primary efficacy assessment under the accelerated approval pathway. And then they go on to say that uh, to support this use, you have to resolve the discrepancies in the factor assay results, and you have to determine the target factor activity level within the range of factor activity of normal population. So this is a bit concerning because uh, expression level is very difficult to control in when you're doing gene therapy in, uh, in these studies. So you have a promoter in your vector that's going to control the amount of expression of a given gene, but once it's actually in the cells and starting to, to work, you know, there's a time course for a lot of this stuff, and sometimes it doesn't always work like you hope. So for companies who are using the who are going under the accelerated approval, and the end, the ones who are relying on only factor activity, they need to be careful and make sure that they're within the the range of normal population. So, some people are concerned uh, for Spark for this reason, but they say here that factor activity may be considered as a surrogate endpoint. So, in in all of Spark studies so far for hemophilia, they've shown both the annualized bleeding rate as well as factor activity. So. Uh, this doesn't concern me too much, as the the outcome is what's more important than the actual expression, and as well as as uh, safety concerns. So, if you have too much factor activity, it could be a clotting problem, and you could be um, put at higher risk for stroke or heart attack or something like that. But uh, if it's too low, you're just going to get more bleeding, and your drug's going to be ineffective. So, the two. Here. Okay, so the two studies that Spark is doing for hemophilia is uh, SPK9001 for hemophilia B, SPK8011 for hemophilia A. Um, and so we're expecting actually, if we look down here in Q3 of 2018, we're expecting a clinical update uh, for the hemophilia A. and. Uh, between these two, the hemophilia A expression data is is really all over the place. So this is uh, what they showed last time. And so you can see how the amount of factor eight activity expression, it's like all over the place. So this is not very uh, encouraging if this is the only data that they were to show for hemophilia A. But given that they're showing other stuff, uh, let me pull it up here. Okay, so this is SPK eight zero one one. Given that for these four patients, they haven't seen any, or they've seen very few, um, post uh, bleeds, bleeds after the infusion. I think this is what the FDA is going to be more um, curious about, especially when it comes to phase one two data. You know, in phase three, they might um, have a stricter criteria, but I don't think this is going to be uh, a big Hindrance from them go, moving on to the next phase. If you look at the phase two or the hemophilia B, yeah, hemophilia B for SPK uh, nine zero zero one, we can see the factor uh, nine activity is a lot higher. I should also mention actually that um, there's only four patients for this hemophilia A project, and the the amount of activity they actually get, the mean is something like fifteen. Fifteen or like ten, something like that. So uh, it's not huge and you're considered hemophilic if it's if you're sub one percent. So they're obviously getting uh, some more like they're they're increasing their amount of factor activity by, you know, tenfold. So that's definitely good. But the I think the normal population can be as high as like fifty. So It's not uh, it's not quite up to normal levels, but, you know, if the outcome is no bleeds, then I think they're doing uh, their job. So, you know, this is a it's kind of uncharted territory for this when it comes to like deciding whether or not a drug is good enough to to be approved. You know, I, I would personally be more concerned of overexpression of this where you're actually at risk of a clot. Um, but the FDA does want drugs that are approved that are actually going to be effective for patients. So I also see their argument for uh, being concerned with this. So um, when it comes to hemophilia B, however, their, their average factor activity is a lot higher. It's in like the 30 to 40% range, so it's, a, it's more encouraging if this is the only thing that they were to show. Now, with this as well, if we look here, the, um, the ble- annualized bleed rate, it's again, it's, it's down to like zero after they do the infusion, after they do the vector infusion. So I think this is what's most important. And I don't think that these guidelines put Spark in any serious danger. Um, yeah. And now, you know, the, the space is kind of crowded. There's going to be uh, other companies that have uh, similar gene therapy treatments out there. So, you know, that, that might be a thing. But in terms of safety and approval, I think that uh, that it's not going to be too concerned at this point. So for SPARK, we're looking forward to um, this uh, SBK8011 clinical update in Q3. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to clarify that. And uh, I think it's interesting for people to read these, these guidelines because it gives you insight into what the FDA um, is, is looking for from these companies. So some of the stuff that I find funny is, you know, as a regulatory body, they're, they're the ones that control what gets to be sold in this country. And the, the bars are, it's high. It's just, they, they're very demanding on the amount of data they have. And while I think it's, uh, it's good for safety, sometimes they can kind of overreach with the amount of stuff that they are demanding from people. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see that, but um so everybody should should go to the FTA website and for any disease that you're particularly interested in you should look at the guidelines and see what they're asking of drug companies to provide for that. Okay. So with that going to talk about just update on the portfolio. Okay. So overall we finished the week at 23 almost 24%. I'll just talk about the notable changes that went on so Illumina had a big jump in these last couple days and uh, yeah I almost just wish I bought Illumina and Magical but sadly I did not uh, Gilead continues to recover from its lows and Atomos also saw a bit of an increase so that's been helping and I uh, tweeted earlier in the week that I actually took the plunge and bought some Bluebird I did the video on Bluebird a little while ago and, and wasn't sure if the bottom was in on this uh, on this decline but I, uh, I bought in at around 175 so not a huge position but I think that they're uh, they're gonna see a lot of uh, success long term so if we look at the XBI and uh, SPX everybody's done well this week so that's, uh, that's good to see volatility continues to decline the SPX is actually um, closed uh, slightly above 2800 which I personally think is relatively bullish even though it's tried to break through that point for for a while a few times in the last couple months and has been unsuccessful so uh, we'll see what's going to happen with the escalating trade wars and uh, and things that are that are going on with that but um, other than that I'm uh, gonna keep going if uh, if anybody has any suggestions for companies they want to me to look at please let me know I've kind of reached the the end of the companies that i was directly um hoping to to look through so somebody uh send me uh, a comment there there was one person who commented something about a another company involved in i think it was cartoon i'll have to check but i'll uh, i might do something on them just for for fun but uh yeah with that i want to thank everybody for watching please like subscribe leave a comment and uh thanks a lot for watching guys and uh have a good weekend